Today, I'm taking you to a time without automated insulin delivery and before accurate continuous glucose monitors to get a glimpse at what pregnancy was like without advanced diabetes technology. Welcome to Diabetech. I'm Justin. I have type 1 diabetes. And on this show, I talk all things diabetes tech, news, and management with educators, industry leaders, and those thriving with diabetes. On last week's episode, I spoke with Steffi Guerra about two major studies showing the accuracy of CGMs and the positive efficacy of automated insulin delivery for T1Ds who are pregnant. Today, I'm taking us back to a time where managing type 1 diabetes pregnancy was a lot more difficult and full of unknowns. I spoke with a fellow T1D and influencer, Melinda Strauss, about her experience with two pregnancies before automated insulin delivery was a thing. It's incredible to hear her resilience during a time of unknowns, excitement, and nerves, and will give some perspective on what pregnancy was like about 15 years ago when you had type 1 diabetes. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday on YouTube and on all podcast platforms, so be sure to follow wherever you prefer. Keep in mind that anything you hear on this podcast or content on any of my pages is not medical advice. Always consult with your physician before making changes to your healthcare. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to bring up my Patreon. I was looking for a way to create better quality content, put out more content on YouTube and the podcast and social media, and do bigger and better things. I want to go to Europe to the biggest diabetes tech conference in March. I want to report on the coolest diabetes technology there is, and do a lot more bigger and better things like going to the Omnipod factory. With your support, I can make these dreams and these goals happen. On Patreon, there's the option to sign up for a monthly subscription. Not only will it support my content, but you'll also get some added extras. You'll get Q&A exclusives that only live on Patreon. The questions come from you. You'll have access to the Diabetech community discord, where you can speak to other people who are diabetes like yourself and like me. You can also chat with me. But overall, what you'll be doing is helping push Diabetech further, helping me and my team create better content for you to watch and learn from. To sign up and support Diabetech, there's a link in today's show notes and it costs about the same as two cups of coffee. All right, enjoy the episode. Melinda, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is awesome. I've been following you for a while. We finally met about like a month ago, and now you're on my podcast. <laughs> it is an honor to be here, Justin. I feel like ever since you were diagnosed and we like became mutuals on TikTok, it's been so fun to like learn so much from you. I've been a diabetic for quite a long time, but I learned so much that I didn't know about my own body <laughs> at all and about oh. diabetes from you. So thank you. Good, good. I, and I'm, I'm hoping to learn a lot from this conversation. So last week, uh, last week's episode, I spoke with a woman named Steffi Guerra from uh, Europe, and she's part of Dexcom's team, and they, she works on studies. And we were talking about uh, studies that came out about CGM accuracy and the efficacy of automated insulin delivery systems. And to me, it was so surprising that it wasn't until now that these studies are really coming out. And then what I'm realizing is like, Automated systems haven't even been around that long. And then finally, we're getting these studies. I think women's health studies tend to maybe be a little further back sometimes. And, and it's good to see that we're moving forward. But then when we spoke about you coming on the podcast, it wasn't until I sat down to write down the questions that I was like, 
oh wait, Melinda didn't have CGMs or AID <laughs> when <Nothing>. she was pregnant. <laughs> Yeah, nothing. When I was diagnosed, it was, here's your pen, like your little insulin pen. That's always what I call it. I never know the official terms for anything. I just kind of like roll with it. But I was like, here's your insulin. Actually, when I first diagnosed, I was pulling from a vial for a while. So that was really, that was really fun. Tell me a little bit more about what diabetes treatment was like for you at that time. So it was 2001. Yeah, when I was diagnosed, just to give like a reference for when. I talked to people who were diagnosed well before me, and I'm always amazed by how far it came from where they were to where I, when I was diagnosed. It's just, it's, it's incredible when you talk to someone who, thank God, like, is alive and had diabetes from 50 years ago. You're like, how? But when I was diagnosed, it was, I didn't even know what diabetes was. I was 18 years old. I was actually diagnosed with, my sugar was 1,040 when I was diagnosed. Did you know that? Yeah, it was very, very, very high. I'm lucky to be alive. And I know that every single day. Um, I actually had like seizures from the neck up. I walked into the hospital and was like, Hey, can you help me? My sister went with me. And I, I didn't know what was going on. And when they said, they actually got mad at my sisters and were like, why didn't you tell she has diabetes? They're like, what is that? And that was my diagnosis was they just assumed I had it already and wasn't taking care of it. I didn't even know what it was. Um, So I was on, I had vials for a while and I was in college. So I went back to, I'm from Seattle. I went back to Seattle with my mom and we went to this diabetes center. They have like really great um, research studies there. And they basically said to my mom, and this is still the best advice ever, especially with my son being diagnosed, was um, you have to let her go back to school and figure things out for herself. Which I can't even imagine mm-hmm. as a mother, a college student, like being, okay, go across the country from Seattle back to New York, which is where I was in college, and say, just figure it out. But that's what the doctor said. She has to figure it out for herself. So just a few weeks after being diagnosed with a type 1 diabetes, which nobody else in my family had, uh, I went back to college and figured it out for myself. They gave me a fridge in the dorm room. We had like a little sink situation and like a whatever fridge, mm-hmm. but they gave me a separate fridge to put all my insulin in. I actually didn't know for a while that once you open a vial, it doesn't have to be refrigerated anymore. So I would like ice pack everywhere I went. If I would travel, I would be freaking out where to put the, the vials, not realizing once you open it, what is it, 28 days that it can stay open. And I, I pulled from a, with a needle for a while. It was just, that's how I took my insulin. I would you know, do all the medical looking stuff. And, and eventually they're like, okay, here you can have, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't even one of those like cool pens where like you get a box of them and then you throw them away. They're done. It was like a refillable pen. It was very fancy. It was very cool. But that's, that's how I took insulin until, uh, I was pregnant with my son. Um, so I guess around 2007 and I, they were like, you need to go on a pump. I was testing my own blood sugar. Also, like there were no CGMs. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to know my sugar, I was pricking my fingers and testing. Yeah. So when you were diagnosed, obviously it was obviously a surprise. Mm-hmm. Had you, when that happened, did you think about, will like, will I be able to have children? Do, can I, like, do I want to have children? Is this, is this doable? I never thought about it because I didn't really yeah. know anything about the disease. So mm-hmm. for me, there were no, the only thing that I wondered was like, can I sugar ever again? Yeah. Can I have, can I have candy ever again? Can I drink Starbucks or like whatever it was? Or yeah. I was getting a lot of Dunkin' Donuts Frappuccinos at the time. But I was like, can I ever have that again? But I didn't even understand what the disease was. 
I mean, for years, I never really understood. Actually, my my college roommate was like pre-med and she was reading some books and she's like, Mel, did you know that insulin doesn't just affect your blood sugar? And I was like, no, tell me more. Like from her readings, because I knew very little about it and didn't really take the time to research it on my own. So I learned from my roommate more about how it affects like, you know, your from literally from the top of your head, your toes, how insulin affects your body. So I never thought about it. Interesting. Was, was there a time when you did take it upon yourself? Did it come to a point where it was like, I need to actually understand this so I can take full control of it? Do you remember a moment when that happened? I, I, I'm going to fully admit this, that even now, 22 years later, I'm still learning new things every day. I kind of like in general, just take life as it comes to me. It's kind of my personality with things like that. Um, even with like being a content creator, all those things like just happen. And then I just, then I get excited about it. And so with diabetes, it's kind of always been learning as I go. But sometimes doing too much research can give people a lot of, a lot of anxiety because when you know so much, you start thinking of all the what ifs and what ifs can go one way or the other, right? They could be really, really good and you could have zero issues or you could have all the issues. So I tend to go with the flow more than sitting and doing research. But I think that if you are someone who does want to get pregnant and wants to do all that, yes, do your research, understand how diabetes affects your body and all that kind of stuff. Like I just, I didn't do that, but I don't recommend not doing any research. But I do recommend pregnancy if you want to have babies. It's great. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. And, and so did you talk to your doctor after you were pregnant about diabetes, it wasn't necessarily before, was it more so after you were, once you were pregnant that you started having the conversation of what does this mean for management of my diabetes? So I did tell my doctor beforehand, I would like to, you know, get pregnant. I was on birth control and I knew that there was a process of going off of it. So I wanted to be responsible. Um, cause I don't know, I didn't know how any of that stuff worked. I just knew I was on birth control and I probably had to go off of it to get pregnant. So my doctor basically told me, um, you need three months, uh, not just being off of birth control, but I want your sugar at a certain, I can't remember the numbers now. It's been a while, but I want your sugar at a certain number before you can start trying. Okay. And I was like, and it was like three months. Like, that's what they said to me. Well, you got to do three months of whatever numbers we give you. And then you can start trying. And I was like, well, that's really stressful. Like add stress on top of stress that you're ready to have kids. And now you got to wait until the doctor approves it. So, and I did it. I was like, I'm going to go with what my doctor recommends because what do I know? And when the doctor said, okay, go for it. That's when we started trying for a kid. And did they test that the success of your management by, I would assume an A1C after three months, because at the time it's not like they're looking at a, a CGM app that says standard deviation and the the GMI percentage, which is similar to an A1C. So you really couldn't see how well you were doing. You you could test yourself every once in a while throughout the day, which I'm sure you were doing, but yeah. you couldn't gauge that success until three months later. And how how did that, do you remember how you felt kind of going through that process? Really annoyed. Very, very annoyed all the time. I'm like, yeah. I just, we're just like, let's go. <laughs> And, yeah. and I knew for my health that I was doing the right thing. So I listened to my doctor, which I recommend doing. Uh, but it was definitely frustrating to not know. And to, like you said, get to the end of that three months and go, I hope 
that the doctor says yes, but not knowing if that'll be the case because the A1C was all a guess back then. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like CGM technology over the last five, maybe a little more years has really unlocked the ability for people with type one to feel much more quote unquote normal, you know, and be able to do things that we want to do without being told no. And I don't know this for sure, but I feel like today, you know, this is 15 years later, it's most likely a little bit easier. Um, and, and which is so great for people to prepare for pregnancy and to just kind of go through it, um, and understand how their control looks. Once you were pregnant, like was the standard for control better or did that need to be better? during pregnancy? Oh, big time. You know, a lot of the things that we we learn with pregnancies, and even if you have the most healthy pregnancy, is you really have to keep your sugar under control because babies of diabetics can be born with larger heads, with larger shoulders. They can also be born with higher, with, with insulin still, like your insulin is in their body. So when they come out and they have normal insulin, you know, production, they end up dropping and having lower blood sugar. Like they, there are babies of diabetics who drop when they're born, like their sugar drops when they're born because they're coming out of the diabetic and they're, they are producing insulin. Um, so there were a lot of things that my doctor really wanted me to just keep a very, very tight eye on at all times, which, because you want to make sure your babies aren't born too large, which can still happen anyways, but we really just try to do our best. And when you're pregnant, you end up taking so much more insulin than normal everything, all your numbers change and they have to be adjusted, which can be really, really challenging without a CGM. Because right now I can literally look at my pump and know what my sugar is and know how to correct. And especially when you're pregnant, your hormones are like crazy all the time that I don't want to check my sugar 50 times a day. But that's how it always felt. Like I had to constantly be checking my sugar to make sure that I was adjusting to keep my sugar from spiking. It's a lot. (laughs) When it did spike, how did that feel? Like not physically. I mean, physically, we know how it can feel, but more emotionally. Yeah, awful, awful. Just very stressful. Like as a mom, or because I mean, for me, like you feel like a mom the second you you even want to start being a mom. Um, it, you felt like I, I guess I would say I felt like I was disappointing myself. Like I could be hurting my baby, right? By by my sugar being high, and that that was definitely a stress that I had throughout the entire pregnancy beyond even other things like going to the doctor all the time and getting everything checked and, you know, God forbid miscarriages, things like that. It was constantly thinking about my blood sugar to make sure that my baby was healthy as they were growing. Were you hard on yourself? Oh yeah, still am. Oh, I still think about little things that are like ingrained in me because of that time. Like I get in, I get this weird insulin guilt. I don't know if you've ever heard about that. Like if anybody, I'm sure other people have it, but I get this like guilt when I take insulin because the amount that I'm taking for what I'm eating. And I think a lot of that comes from, like, I felt like I was practically drinking it when I was pregnant. There was like just vial after vial after vial. And I craved carbs all the time, like bagels and pasta. That's what I wanted my whole pregnancy. And that's tough when you're craving it and you're pregnant, you want it. I I, I certainly ate them, but I would like scoop out a bagel if that helped to keep it a little more under control. So you limited yourself, it sounds like, with food. Like you you didn't just eat what you were craving. 
for the most part. There were certainly times where like, I want that fettuccine Alfredo and I'm going to eat that fettuccine yeah. Alfredo. Um, I also, my doctor told me like, I don't want you gaining more than 35 pounds, right? Like he gave me a limit and I'm like, I'm going to hit that limit. Cause if you let me, if I could hit 35, I'm going for it. So I didn't limit my, I never felt like I was dieting while I was pregnant. I just, there were certainly times where I wanted one thing and I went, I can't have that because of the spikes. How do you think things could have been differently for you if there was a CGM at the time? Well, I would have been less stressed for sure about my numbers because you could you could see them. And the CGM yeah. also helped so much overnight. Like overnight's always been a huge issue for me since I was diagnosed where it's just like this, always waking up high and going like, why? Why? And I also love to snack at night. So it definitely like does not help with that. Yeah. Um, it would have been for sure less stressful to be able to at least see the numbers because I think that would have helped me to, then they were pretty under control, but, but the stress of it, and I, and I had two kids and chose not to have more. And this was one of the huge factors in that was my, was my disease. Yeah. Now, spoiler alert, you do have two children, healthy pregnancies, but during, during that first pregnancy, you, you know, you list off all these possibilities for, you know, things, you know, the, the, the baby dropping very low when it comes out or, um, larger heads, arms, body parts, you know, that's, that's really nerve wracking on top of all the worries you have just being pregnant and hoping for a healthy child. Yeah. Um, were you worried at any moment that you could be like harming your child with your actions or your, your possible moments of lack of control? So I never felt that way. I think I just, I felt like nobody's perfect when they're pregnant. Yeah. Right. So I kind of put myself in that category and knowing that I can't be perfect. Nobody can, especially as a diabetic, like uh, every day is different. When people ask me for diabetes advice, I'm like, just know that you are going to have really, really bad days. And sometimes you're going to have an amazing morning or afternoon, but then you get to start again tomorrow. So I, I felt like that when I was pregnant, for sure, that that I would not be able to be perfect all the time and I would try my best. But my doctor definitely assured me that like, if you have a spike, it doesn't mean your baby's going to come out unhealthy. If you're, if you're at 400 your entire pregnancy, we have a problem. But he definitely assured me that that the control that I did have, I was okay. I would have spikes, but we have as diabetics who doesn't have spikes. That's a great point you make of we can't be perfect and it is not in our there. We don't have control over that. We don't have control over a lot. And we, we, we only have control over what we do have control over. And that's what we can, we can focus on, but we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves for having moments where our sugar levels just aren't where we want them to be because we have this disease. <laughs> so um, I think that that was great advice for people listening is that you do need to, while it could be difficult, you do have to let go of certain things and do the best you can and do with what you're told by your you know support team. Now, what about your insulin needs? You, you kind of spoke on this a little bit. How did that change? It's just so much. With so much insulin, like I, I already get that. And I, I, when I was first diagnosed, my the nutritionist that they gave me was like, you should be eating 15 carbs in every meal. That's 15 carbs. And I was like, oh, okay. Like have an apple with peanut butter. That's like a snack or whatever. That was like how I was taught 
to be a diabetic. So for me, it was really difficult for a long time. I always felt this weird guilt when I would eat more than what my nutritionist told me. And then you got to take more insulin for it. But I would actually take for what I was supposed to eat and not take enough insulin because I would get this kind of weird guilt. I actually felt that guilt until when my son was diagnosed when he was uh, 13 years old. And they were like, eat all the carbs, just count them. Like, enjoy yourself, have, have a bowl of pasta, just know what you're eating, balance it out so you don't spike. And I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, it took me sitting with my son's nutritionist for me to start forgiving myself for for eating more carbs than my, nutri- my nutritionist had told me. Um, so during pregnancy, it was definitely interesting when I wasn't just eating within those bounds. Your numbers, all your numbers and ratios change because of the mm-hmm. hormones, which it was just a lot more insulin. Thank God. Thank God for insurance. Is that process of like your insulin needs becoming, is that like more and more over time or is it, you know, up and down or is there some sort of consistency to it? No consistency, zero. It was like beginning of the pregnancy and I went to my endocrinologist. We were like besties by the end. It was, I was constantly there uh, because they were constantly upping my dosage. And my percentages, because as you get more and more pregnant, the hormones are surging in different ways. So it was constantly changing. I spent a lot of time in different doctors and not because I had an unhealthy pregnancy, but just because that was a standard part of being a diabetic was constantly being there and getting the non-stress tests and having my baby's heart checked and all these different things that are not necessarily nor- normal to a pregnancy, but they're just normal to a diabetic pregnancy. Okay. And before your first pregnancy, you were MDI, right? I don't know what that means. You were a multiple, sorry, multiple daily injection. You were injecting oh. insulin, not a pump. <laughs> sorry, yeah. I, I normally do <laughs> see what that is too. Okay, okay. When you were pregnant, then you switched to a pump, right? Correct. I was kind of forced onto a pump because I was very comfortable with, with the needles. And even with the pump, there still was no CGM. So it was just... I, I'd mm-hmm. be very comfortable and I'm also very open with diabetes. Like everyone in my life knows, everyone on social media knows, like it's just a part of what I do. And I had no problem like pulling out the pen and, you know, taking some insulin. Um, we won't talk about through the genes and things like that, <clears throat> but we, we shouldn't talk about that out loud. Right. Um, <laughs> but but wow. my doctor had told me that Lantus, which is um, the, I guess, what, what do you call Lantus? Long acting insulin. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so that was not at that point tested on pregnant women. I don't know if it is now, so that's something for research, but, um, it wasn't tested on pregnant women yet. And he said, you cannot keep taking Lantus. We need to get you on a pump. And I didn't want to be on a pump for so long because whatever pumps were really available at that point were all tubed up. They were all tubed pumps. I call them tubed up or I used to say wired up. (laughs) Omnipod was fairly new at that point. I don't even know how new. I should love to know the dates of when it when it was first um, started, when people first started wearing it. But into when I was pregnant with Zach, um, he's like, well, we have this new pump. It's called the Omnipod. It's totally tubeless. It's all the things. And I was like, fine. I didn't want to go on it. I, I didn't understand at the time actually how incredible a pump could be. I had no idea. And so I went on Omnipod. And it was really weird at first. Like it was so weird to have something attached. And with the Omnipod, you also have a separate piece that's always connect, always with you. Yeah. So I was the bag girl. No matter where we went, I was the bag lady. 
because I always needed to have that part. And I'm sure, I don't know if it's any smaller now, but it was like really huge to carry around. So it went in my purse wherever I went. And oh, I got used to it. Yeah. Last time we spoke, you said that you remember the first day on Omnipod so clearly. Tell me about that. So I put, I remember because I put it on like my love handle on my tush, like right there in that in-between spot. And I remember going back to my desk. I worked, um, I worked in recruiting at a law firm. I remember going back to my desk and sitting down and being like, oh, I could feel it. When <laughs> did it. And that was when I realized I'm never putting it there again. Never, never, ever again. Because it was literally like, all, it's all I could feel when I was sitting. That's when I started switching to like my stomach. I didn't use my arms a lot. My son loves to use his arms for like his Dexcom, but I'm a stomach girl for sure. And I understand with men, like, you know, when you have hair on your chest, it can be a little more difficult, but I don't have that problem. <laughs> so I use my stomach, but I remember that first time just sitting down and being like, this is not going to work. And I don't remember, I think it was, I think it's still like, it was three days that it was on no matter what, right? Three days with Omnipod. It, it, depending on insulin use, two to three days. Yeah. So I remember it being three days and I was like, all right, I can handle this for three. And then I started playing around with like other places to put it on my body. Okay. I, I used Omnipod for 10 years, actually. Did you continue to wear Omnipod through the end of your first pregnancy into your second and throughout that one? Yeah. So Omnipod was just what I used for, again, 10 okay. years. Um, I don't remember why I switched. I think I was getting frustrated. Like I was almost getting like not pump fatigue, but Omnipod fatigue, like being on the same time for so long. And it would, it would have these malfunctions all the time. I call it the flatlining. I think we talked about this, the beep, when it just happens like in the middle of the night and you're sleeping. And then, so I think I was just done with all of the things that were happening. And I'm sure it's gotten a million times better. This is a long, a long time ago, but I just needed something different. And I okay. was okay. My kids were getting older. At first, when they were little, I didn't want tubes. I'm like, great, they're going to pull on my tubes. Like That was something as a new mom that I actually was considering, having toddlers who could pull on the tubes on my pup. Oh, wow. I just, yeah. I just thought about that now. So my, as my kids were getting older, I was like, okay, I could switch to something with, with tubes because they're not dragging at, at me anymore and going, ooh, what's that? And, and pulling everything off of me. Uh, let's get into kind of your a bit of your treatment and your support team. How, how did that work? You, you had an endo and then I'm sure you had a support, uh, uh, like a pregnancy health team. How intertwined at, if at all, were those two? No, not at all. Like I would say almost zero. Um, wow. I do not think it's a good thing when I look back on it that they literally like never discussed. Um, I had different, I actually had different endocrinologists and different, um, OBGYNs for each of my pregnancies. So they were very different experiences, but with both, there was very little conversation between them. Uh, I would say like, especially with OBGYN, it was almost like, okay, go talk to your, go talk to your endocrinologist when you have questions. Like that was kind of, they split. And the only thing that I had was when I went into labor, um, my endocrinologist made sure to be there, not even during the whole thing, but more at the end. Of the pregnancy, I mean, of, of the labor, like it wasn't, and it wasn't great because my endocrinologist, not my, my, my OBGYN and the whole hospital team didn't really know anything about diabetes. So they wanted me off the pump when I gave birth because they wanted to monitor everything. And with, with actually, I believe that I stay on the pump. I'm pretty sure I stayed on the pump with my daughter when she was born. 
Because after the first one being like, why would you want me off the pump? Like, it's so easy to regulate with the pump. But they wanted to regulate everything. Everything. Every single time a new nurse came into my room after I had Zach, um, everyone was asking me a million questions. Like, I was getting fatigue from teaching them about diabetes. Yeah. And pre, pre-labor, um, you, you had told me that there was – you had said that there were a lot of tests you were receiving – that you wouldn't necessarily get as someone without diabetes. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So it's interesting. This was more with my daughter than with my son. That's where I always okay. wonder, like, with every every doctor being so different, they all are more careful or less careful in different ways. So when I was pregnant with Nora, um, she's 13, they had me do heart tests, actually multiple heart tests on her. And I, I remember asking them, like, is this normal? Is this something that people do? And they were like, well, it's not. It's something that we do for diabetics to make sure your baby's heart is healthy. And I'll just, I always remember them saying like, when, you know, somebody else could be giving birth right next to you and they'll have no idea how healthy their baby is. But you will literally know before she even comes out how healthy every part of her body is because we're testing it all beforehand. I was like, okay, that's great. Like, I know that her heart is healthy, thank God, when she comes out. But it was just an interesting thing because there were so many different tests. Were there any restrictions in birthing options for your pregnancies? I don't know. I didn't ask. I kind of, with Zach, I went into labor and ended up having a C-section. And with Nora, we ended up actually planning a C-section. It was, there was no, no plan pushed on me. And I kind of was just happy with the flow on it. So I, I don't know how, how they would have pushed back if I said I wanted a natural birth or things like mm-hmm. that. Okay. Yeah. And w- was there an endo there that day of labor for either of those? So both in the hospital, there are endocrinologists, not my endocrinologist. My endo was not, there was a hospital endocrinologist, but not specifically mine. And how did you feel like you said that they wanted to be in control of everything and you said that they got you to, you know, they allowed you to use your pump the second time, but how did it feel, I guess, during the operation and then after, um, not being in control? I mean, you have so much on your mind, I'm sure, but also adding that layer of there, could they like, are they going to be okay with, (laughs) with this? They, They don't even know as much as I know, you know? It's exa- it's really it's exhausting. Like anytime you're in the hospital as a diabetic, so for any surgery, right? Anytime you go in, there's so much they don't know. Because I've been in the hospital for other things, and it's every time it's the same thing. They have a million questions about it. Um, I had I, I had a surgery a few years ago where I was grateful that my surgeon actually wanted to talk to my endocrinologist and wanted to get information. I was like, this is nice because, and they said, whatever your endocrinologist wants is what I want. I loved that because it's not experience I've had all the time where they want to do it their way. They want to even test with their finger pricks, which are like from the seventies and they hurt because they're, the needles are huge. And I remember asking, and they, and they charge you by the way, when they use their equipment. So I was like, can I, can we just use mine? Like test on your meter, but can we just use my, my needles? Like they're so tiny. And they did say, yes, I've had, thank goodness. I've had people say yes to that, but I've also had ones where they charge you per, per needle and they want to use theirs. They are usually okay with using your equipment. You just have to ask. It's so important. People feel like they can't advocate for themselves in hospitals, but you can, especially as a diabetic. Like 
speak your mind and make sure they know you want to be on your pump. If you got to get a letter from your doctor, do it, but really push for your own health because you, especially as diabetics, how often do we know our, we know our diabetes way better than they do. So we really have to make sure we push for that. Today's episode is sponsored by T1D Exchange. You can directly make an impact on diabetes healthcare, treatments, and technology by participating in the T1D Exchange registry. It starts with a simple survey about your life with T1D, and it only takes about 15 minutes. After that, you'll have a personal portal with ongoing T1D study and survey opportunities from research on technology, daily T1D management, and more. Plus, some of these studies even offer compensation. Signing up with the link in the show notes helps support my channel and it allows me to continue putting out free content. You can sign up at t1dexchange.org slash diabetic or click that link in today's show notes. Uh, with your second, preg second pregnancy, was there anything that you learned from the first one that going into this next one, um, you took that information as it relates to diabetes? I would say the forgiveness in the imperfections was a huge part of it. The first one was so much more stressful. And the second one, uh, my sugar was very similar, actually. I gained very similar amounts of weight. Like the pregnancies were very similar. I was much bigger with my daughter than my son. But besides that, and she came out bigger, but I mean, he was 7'11 and she was 8'8. So, but that's, that could be anything, not just diabetes. My A1C was very similar. I just, I was more forgiving. I gave myself a lot more grace with the segment pregnant for sure. And then after that one, I was like, maybe we don't want to do this again. It's a lot. And if I really wanted more kids, I would have gone through it again. My husband was like, we'd be done. <laughs> so it, it balanced out. It worked out well. We got a boy, we got a girl, and we got a dog. I didn't have to give birth to the dog. Um, but so just after you go through so much, I was just like, okay, we're good. And they're healthy. And that to me was like, I'm good. I'm, it's enough. Did your body react similarly as the first one or was it like a completely new experience? That's a really good question. I've never thought about that before. I, I, as women, usually we show more quickly with our second pregnancies Been pregnant. Like your body just goes, Oh, I, I've been there before. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. And I guess this is, this probably means that they were very similar. I don't remember there being such a difference in my reactions to like foods or anything like that. So I would say besides just being larger with my second, um, I don't think there were much differences between them and being mm -hmm. with different doctors. So like I had very different experiences in that way more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And having type one diabetes, it's more likely that your children could as well. Is that something that went through your mind um, at any point? Never. Zero. Because I didn't actually know that. I really didn't know that there was a, that there was a genetic component to it until actually fairly ready when my son was diagnosed. That was kind of a big indication. Hello. But <laughs> even before he was diagnosed, and that's why like, I feel so passionate about people getting, if they can get tested. And we tested my daughter after um, Zach was diagnosed just to see if the marker was there. And so I feel very passionate about that, about people getting tested because it's, it doesn't, it's not even just a genetic thing. It could be anybody, but especially if you have it in the family, being able to know if they have the marker know if that's there and then be able to look out for the symptoms. Mm -hmm. You can't change the life, 
But to be able to know the symptoms are there early enough means you could avoid a lot of DKA. You could avoid a lot of unhealthy things that could happen. So, but I never thought about it ever. Even we had tested one of my kids like once for a toddler. That was it. And then when Zach was diagnosed, like surprise. Yeah. But it's also for him, I think it's, he's fortunate to have you there who's gone through so much, you know, so many years ahead of him and then a pregnancy and diabetes, he'll, he'll be fine. And, and also he's being like, he's gotten diagnosed, um, at such a wonderful time with diabetes technology. Actually, (laughs) you and I connected for the first time because you had posted a video of his, um, getting his Dexcom, uh, his first Dexcom. And then I did a reaction video on TikTok. That's what connected us first, like two and a half years ago or two years ago. Yeah. The power of social media, but, uh, it's cool that, that all of this exists, uh, crowdsourcing of information so that you can learn and then you can relay that information to him, right? That that didn't exist when you were diagnosed. You were relying on your college roommate to give you, you know, <laughs> the the facts, you know? Now it's so accessible. I had one friend with, not even a friend, he was my brother-in-law's friend with diabetes. That was like my only person I knew with diabetes yeah. who was very private, who wouldn't take, give insulin to, like, in, he'd like go around a corner and give himself insulin. We were very different yeah. in that way. Um, and that was it. That's all I knew of diabetics. There was... That's actually why I got involved with the diabetes community for a little bit, like with JDRF and things like that, because I didn't have any other diabetic friends, which which has its ups and downs. Because I mean, I think having a diabetes community is really wonderful. There was something about just being a regular. I always felt like just anyone else. That's you know, unless I pulled out the needle or I'm taking insulin, like I've never felt different because I'm a diabetic. And I still feel so passionately about that when I, I share with people, like it's, it doesn't define who you are. Mm-mm. It doesn't, it's a disease and it's not your fault. So don't treat it like it's your fault. Don't apologize for it. So I always felt just like everybody else when I would go to a club or I would hang out with my friends or when I was dating, I had one guy who would date, like we dated a little bit and then he was weirded out by the diabetes thing. And I'm like, okay, that's weird and different. And that was the only person I ever experienced that with. But otherwise, I just, I was, I'm only a diabetic when I need to think about like what I'm eating or I guess when I'm like getting my nails done. Like that's always, that's how I felt, especially when I was in college and like in my 20 somethings. It's just, yeah. you're not, you're, you are a diabetic every second of the day. That doesn't go away. You don't have to feel like one. Yeah. And I've, I've really loved, your outlook this whole time of like, I'm, I'm ready for you to say, um, Oh yeah, I was so worried or anxious about doing blah, blah, blah. But each time I've asked you a question, uh, that could create that answer. It's more like, Oh no, I didn't, I didn't, you know, even think about that. And I love that you weren't overthinking and thinking way too far ahead because that does cause anxiety, but I'm sure people listening right now do have those anxieties and are thinking ahead. Um, What would be your advice to someone listening now who does have that insulin guilt or that worry that they're, that they could be harming their baby uh, with their own eating habits, which are the same as anyone else who would be pregnant without diabetes? Right. Well, I can't tell somebody to stop having anxiety, right? It doesn't, it's not so simple. Just 
ignore it. It's going to go away. Um, but I do want, I want someone like that to know that even with the anxiety and with their, with what they're feeling, it doesn't mean that what they're feeling is going to happen. That maybe that anxiety and what they're feeling is making them a better parent in a way that they're so worried about their children, right? Like the anxiety is exhausting sometimes, but I, I'd rather you be someone who cares too much than doesn't care at all. So to, to take that anxiety, like it's there. I wish that I could take it away from you. Oh, I wish that I could take away the guilt, but it means that you're, you're doing something okay for your body and you're taking care of your body. It, it just, it, you, have, you have to know that even with the anxiety, it doesn't mean the results are going to be the worst of what you think it's going to be, right? The what ifs can go one way or they can go another. I, I like to think about the what ifs, like all the good what ifs. You can't, it's so hard to get rid of the other ones. But what if this happens to my baby or that? Surround yourself with people who are going to support you. If it means trusting your doctor, knowing that when you give birth, that you have a plan. Plans change, by the way. Birth plans, <laughs> they're good. They're great, but they get moved around a lot because birth plans are only, like that's for anyone who's pregnant. A birth plan only takes you so far. I remember thinking about C-sections when I was pregnant with Zach. It wasn't my plan, but I felt so strongly that I wanted to know what, could, like, what are C-sections and how they work. So if a C-section were to happen, I wouldn't feel stressed or angry about it because it's okay. People sometimes feel guilty if they can't nurse. This is another thing about nursing, by the way, mm -hmm. is that nursing actually uses a lot of energy. Nursing makes your blood sugar go, to, go down, like drop. It's wow. exhausting. So I, I had trouble nursing with Zach, but I was pumping. And every time I would pump, I'm like guzzling orange juice. And my doctor was like, oh, just keep drinking juice. And I was like, mm, no, it's not for me. Wait, is that, okay. is that the bi-hormonal pump you're using? The, does that? Sorry, that may be a super technical joke. Oh my god, I just made a super technical joke. I love when you talk like that. Oh my god, I'm such a nerd. Uh, Beta Bionics is working on a bihormonal pump with glucagon and insulin, so it would regulate. So I made a joke that like you're pumping and it's lowering your blood sugar, and then you've got a pump that's also lowering actually. So it's a different. I don't know. It was a terrible so joke. Cool. We're gonna leave it in though. <laughs> I actually think it's really, I love all these advancements. That's what I love whenever you, whenever you're talking about, like I learned so much and I'm always like, should I be trying that? Should I be trying that? But it's just a good thing to know that when you're pumping or, or when you're nursing, you, your sugar is going to go down and just to be prepared for that. Yeah. That's another, it's it just like never ends. It's, it never ends. That's but. a whole, yeah. That's a whole other layer. Did they tell you that was going to happen or did nope. you, no, you just figured that out. <laughs> I mean, it was figure out when I was like, can somebody get me some juice, please? Can somebody get me juice? Like it was, that was rough. It was, no, when he was nursing, Zach always had like some nursing issues. So it wasn't as bad. But when I started pumping, that's when it got worse because that's when like it was actually, the pump was working. Uh, he, he had a tongue tie. So that was a whole nother issue. But um, yeah, that was, it's a lot, but it's just being prepared for those things. And just knowing that however it works out as a parent, it doesn't, you're not a bad parent. We, there are some bad parents out there in the universe, but most of us are not. We're just trying to do our best. And that guilt that comes from a lot of moms is thinking that you have to be perfect all the time. And as a diabetic mom, it's thinking you have to be perfect with your sugar. Yeah. It, you got to release some of that, even though it's not easy. It's just knowing that yeah, you're going to screw up and mistakes are going to happen, but you're still good. You're still a good parent. Yeah. And I wonder what your take is on this. I've personally, I've stopped wearing my Apple watch for about two months now. And it's because I was looking at my watch 
way too often just to see what my blood sugar was. No alert, just wanted to know. And I found that it was taking me out of the moment because I would see it. I'd see an arrow or a scary number and I'd worry and I'd start thinking about wh where's my blood sugar going to go in the next 15 minutes, which I found to be unhealthy. So I, I'm wearing this Withings watch now that sends me alerts when I get, when I have a low or a high. Um, and it's a very like nice, sleek looking um, fitness band with some smart features. Um, and I found that it really helped. And people who are getting pregnant today, um, they have this technology that you didn't have back then. You, you could only worry so much, but now someone with technology can just constantly look and be like, oh, well, I'm, this is not, you know, this, this isn't where my blood sugar should be. I was told I have to have this range. Where is that balance? I'm sure you've had to find that balance yourself in your own way now with having a phone that tells you your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. What would be your, your advice, I guess, to, for someone who may be looking at their tech too much during their pregnancy? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to say something that you might not expect, but I actually don't think it's a bad thing. It's, it's 10 months, really pregnancy is 10 months. Mm -hmm. And if it's helping you, if it's helping you stay in control, look at your phone, look at your yeah. watch. It's okay. I, it's, it's not permanent. It's a temporary thing when we're pregnant. And to me, if it's helping you to keep those numbers under control, it's just making sure that you don't spend the rest of your life doing that. So that's that. I don't believe it. I'm going to be honest. I don't even believe in the word balance. I think balance is very difficult in life. It's like, think about how often are we really ever perfectly balanced? Everything isn't always going to be perfect. So it's figuring yeah. out what works for you. One area of your life is going to be up here and the other is going to be down here at any time. So there is, I think, especially when women are pregnant, that there's not necessarily a perfect balance of how you're going to feel all the time. Some weeks you might look at it more than other weeks. Some mm -hmm. weeks you might just go through it and, you know, eat a little bit more of this thing or that thing. But, and if keeping track helps, if it means writing things down, like finding something in your life that can help you with the control, right? Like you were saying before, there's so much that there's so much that's out of our control as diabetics. One thing that I always feel like I can control is my mind. Me personally. I know that's not the same for everybody. And again, I'm someone who doesn't think, I, I would say thank God, but I don't have a lot of anxiety. So for me, I feel that I can control what's in. Like somebody gave me the example once of like a hula hoop. If you're pregnant, can you get in the hula hoop? That's another question. But it's like whatever is in the hula hoop is what you can control. Mm -hmm. Can't always control all the outside sources and things that are around us. So it's figuring out how to control the things that are inside of the hula hoop. And I think that if, if it helps you, get through the day to look at your sugar a little bit more while you're pregnant, do it. It's okay. I don't look at my sugar all the time. And I think part of it is because that's not a habit I had since the beginning. Yeah. Um, I, and when Zach was diagnosed, it was kind of working on the same thing with him, making sure that he didn't become so addicted to looking at it all the time. And he's a teenager. He's going to do what works for him. And I like him having the watch in school right now. He's in a good place. So we don't have to work on that, but and I, even when he was diagnosed at the beginning, I would check his sugar constantly. And then I started teaching myself, like really working on myself with a new habit of looking less. It takes time. It takes, it actually habits take time to break, habits take time to make. So I really spent some time like actually 
talking to myself about it. Like, I know you want to look right now, Mel, but don't. He's yeah. okay. You'll get the notifications if he's high. You'll get them if he's low. But he actually can take care of himself. Like, he actually started telling me. I used to text him when he was high or when he was low. And he'd be like, Mom, just leave me alone. Like, I see it too. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. The technology's there for you to use it. Whatever works best for you, do it that way. I found that I needed to not do it as much. And that's really helped me. And during pregnancy, it could, it is, um, I'm sure, a, a very helpful tool um, and could even probably make worrying a little easier. It may make it even easier to worry less because <laughs> you do have that information. Yeah. Well, Melinda, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, this was so interesting. Um, I really didn't know much about pregnancy and diabetes um, before this. And now after these uh, last few episodes, um, <laughs> I'm feeling really smart about it. I'm glad I could expand my brain in this area. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, Justin, you're ready to you're ready to get pregnant. I'm ready. Do Let's do it. <laughs> thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you haven't already, go listen to last week's episode about the advancements in diabetes technology's use for pregnancy. It's exciting to see that research is being done and that diabetes tech is proving useful. That was a fascinating conversation. Next week, I'll be talking about Android APS. It is a DIY automated system for Android phones, similar to IAPS. In fact, it is the same algorithm that IAPS is using. Android APS is a separate system. It's been around for a while and I spoke to a user. Also down in the show notes is that link to my Patreon. I truly value your support and I cannot wait to push Diabetic further and farther with you. New episodes of this podcast release every Monday, wherever you listen and on YouTube. There's a link to my YouTube channel and my social accounts in the show notes as well. I'm Justin and I'll see you next week.